the money map is currently confused. And, uh, and if it was clear that inflation was nipped in the bud, it would be really easy to make decisions because we just go straight to defensive stocks, straight to, to secure cash flows. Um, and, and basically we'd be, we'd be buying into the idea that bonds have finished their sell off. But I kind of don't believe that. You know, I think there's a lot of manipulation in prices and the, uh, and the narrative right now. And, um, uh, and that means that we see continued inflation, you know, higher inflation for longer, which means bonds are mispriced. And so I think there's a big risk in assuming that all, the, all is going to come good so easily. So basically the money map is, is you know, if you, if you believe there's going to be lots of inflation, then you know exactly what to do. If you think it's going to go away, then it becomes clear what to do. But I do think we're at one of those turning points. Hello and welcome to the Fortune and Freedom podcast, where Nigel Farage and Nikolai Hubble give you a unique take on what's really going on in the world of finance, investing and politics. We hope you sit back and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to this week in review. Unfortunately, Nigel Farage is away traveling, but I am joined by the next best option, Charlie Morris. Thanks very much for coming on. I've never before been compared to Nigel Farage. Well, uh, I don't know how well, uh, if, if you enjoy the comparison or not. Are you a Nigel fan? Um, I, I admire the man, but um, I've never voted for him. Um, I'm probably more central, but I do admire his sense of humor and his plain speaking. What about his financial analysis and sort of the, the perception he had of the European crisis, especially? Well, he does have a city background. You know, he's a commodity trader, so he ought to know a thing or two. And, you know, I think he's probably one of these people that's able to grasp financial concepts and explain them quite, quite well. I mean, yeah. a lot of these predictions that, um, that he and others have made aren't that complex to, to, to see coming, you know. And you see pressures build up in the system in certain areas, and then they're unleashed at some point. Timing them to perfection is harder, uh, and also knowing that the, the the sort of fallout in other areas is also quite complex. Um, but yeah, the big picture often is pretty straightforward. Let's move on to the, to the news this week, and the big story is is the obvious one. It's American inflation. It's at nine point one percent year over year. But I think you want to focus on the monthly figures. Is that right? Yeah, last month we had 1.1. This month um, for June, 1.3. You know, that's more than we had in the two years, 2014 and 15. Doesn't sound like much, though. Well, in one month, I mean, if you compound 1.3% um, over 12 months, you know, you're getting to a, to a mid-teens number. So, um, you know, that needs, that needs to be nipped in the bud pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and the key issue seems to be that it's accelerating. Um, but... Despite the fact that the US dollar is worth less than it was last month, the value on foreign exchange markets is soaring. And that's, I'm guessing you're going to say, behind a lot of what's causing markets to crash. Yes. So it's not the inflation per se necessarily in the short term that, that is the problem. It's the reaction of higher interest rates, which is the discount rate. Inflation longer term has big problems. It you know, pushes up costs for companies. It means you've got to pay your staff more. It means you're, you know, the stuff you purchase is going to cost more. That, that of course, does um, knock earnings down. But much, much more uh, critical is the, is the discount rate, i.e. the cost of money. Because if you push that up, that literally pushes asset prices straight down. The obvious one is in bonds, where it, you know, whether um, you know, if, if you can get four percent in the bank, then then obviously a guild can't pay one percent of materials that's got to compete with that, and needs to pay four or five percent. So that means price down, uh, and that idea spreads to other asset classes. Shares have got to be cheaper too, as well as property. 
Let's move on to, to political risk, which is something that I've noticed over the last few weeks. Governments just seem to be falling like flies. It's just extraordinary, especially in Europe, all these no confidence motions. You know, there's a, some awkward coalitions as well. There's a lot of protests. When you were a fund manager, would you sort of have been worried about what's going on in the political world? Um, more so in emerging markets than in developed, because the systems really go beyond the government. You know, I think that's the point of a developed market. When you've got um, you know, strong institutions, uh, the world carries on whether you have a leader or not. I think in the UK, the overwhelming forces at play are interest rates, inflation, overhang of large debt, and, and of course, energy supplies. And, and it really doesn't matter who you put in, the, in number 10. That, that's not going to change in, in a hurry. In fact, they've got very little influence over that. Um, they, they can have good long-term policies, but, but that's not going to fix anything in the short term. So I, I, I really think the political risk in the UK, although it's a political mess, I don't think the impact on markets is particularly substantial. Is that why your recent update was entitled, Why Boris Johnson's Departure is Irrelevant? Yeah, I think it's very relevant for Westminster. I don't think it's very relevant for the stock market and for investors. I want to ask you a question that I've been struggling with, which is we've seen this, this huge crash in, in stock markets, in bond markets. By some measures, it's you know the record bad, uh, going back 150 years or something like that. And yet there doesn't seem to have been any identifiable financial or economic crisis that you can sort of blame for this huge um, sell-off in markets. Do you think that's because a crisis is yet to come or do you think it's just this political energy mess that justifies that huge drop? Now I come back to what I said a moment ago, it's all about rates. I mean, you know, the 10-year bond yield two years ago was half a percent. We've seen huge amounts of bond buying and disinflationary forces. Remember we had negative oil price a couple of years ago? And, and all of these things have just, you know, give, uh, uh, have meant that um, central banks have just been able to print money because they felt there'd be no consequences of inflation. Uh, and that's been wrong this last year. It's come surging back. Now the price of money is wrong. You know, it's typically gone in the USA from a half a percent or so, um, uh, or the 20 year bond, 1%, I was looking at the screen now, 1% to 3% over the last two years. That's what's caught up. That's what's knocked asset prices. Now, the risk is that that happens again. Because actually, if inflation is you know 9.2, as you're saying, and 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 the, and the long bond yield is like three, um, well, surely it should be much higher. You know, if it was four, five, or six, then that's going to uh, see cataclysmic um, uh, impact on financial markets. So that's the worry, and that's all about the inflation. And of course, everyone says it's going to go away because the oil price is starting to fall again. It's below a hundred dollars. Um, yeah, but you know, I think the next time that we, we have a recovery in in, um, in the economy in a year or two then they're still going to have the problem that there's not enough oil around. And so it's going to go straight back up. So we're going to go through a world of lower lows on commodity prices to a, to a world of higher lows on commodity prices um, as, along with each cycle. So is it the inflation that's the issue or is it the response to the inflation? Um, well, both. Absolutely, it's both. Because, you know, the chicken and the egg situation. But the government in the short term, or the central banks in the short term, have got to fight back. I mean, in the UK, the Bank of England's gone to an almighty 1.25%. I mean, this is absurd. It's far too low. And that's why the pound's slipping. In, in, in Europe, they've done even less. In Japan, they've done less. And that's why their currencies are under, under even more pressure um, than the British pound. So um, it, it, it's, you know, some people have titled it the dollar wrecking ball. We've got this super strong dollar. And, you know, if you remember the era 2002 to 2008 before the crisis, it was a lovely time to be invested. It wasn't a great time to be invested in American assets, but in commodities and emerging markets, there were great opportunities. And that was a time when the dollar basically fell by a third. 
And, and when the dollar falls a lot, that's like a global tax cut. It's like easy credit, easy money around the world. It's a lovely time for financial markets. Um, but we're now in the opposite position. So it's, you know, it's a really, really tight environment. And, and I don't think the world's really ready for it. You know, there's lots of debt. So when you've got rising interest rates into high, high outstanding debt, that's very painful. You know, in the 70s, we had lots, we had very, very high interest rates, but the debt had been deflated over the previous decade. And so by the time we got to those extraordinarily high rates, you know, it, it didn't matter nearly so much. And indeed, the smart money will say the best time to borrow is, is, is when it's expensive, but not when it's cheap. Because, because when it's expensive, it's going to get cheaper. And, um, and so, you know, you actually get a really good deal in that regard. And of course, asset prices are extremely low when you've got high um, interest rates. If inflation falls a lot over the next year or so, and central banks start to react to the recession risk and start to bring interest rates down, in real terms, interest rates might actually continue to go up because inflation will fall a lot further than interest rates. And that will feel like monetary policy is actually being tightened in real terms. Is that something that you're worried about? Because I don't think it's happened before. We've always had interest rates either higher than inflation or at about the same level. So that when a recession hit, interest rates could be lowered more than the rate of inflation fell. So the first point is that the bond market thinks, assumes, is priced in for inflation to come down. Indeed, the bond market's been saying for the last three months that inflation is coming down. And, um, and that has put a lot of downward pressure on, 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 on all sorts of things. And, and part of that's this sort of feeling that we're going into a recession. And we've had that signal now for, well, for about, about nine months, ever since the yield curve's been flattening and, uh, and is now inverted in many places. And, and so, you know, what, what does that mean? Is, you know, investors buy the long bond when they think the world's going to end. And uh, because they think that all other asset classes have to come down. But my problem with that, and, and you rightly say that real interest rates have gone up a lot. And I think we've got the chart that's going to go on the screen. And, and we're looking there at the red line, which is the difference between the bond yield in black um, and, and the break even or the, or the inflation expectation um, in blue. So, so the inflation expectations will be coming down despite higher real inflation. And um, the difference, the red line at the bottom, basically when that's falling, that's a tailwind for asset prices. And when it's rising, like it's risen very sharply this year, uh, that's a headwind for asset prices. Now, the question is whether that's peaked, whether the, the blue line has come down enough because actually the inflation is not going away to the extent that the bond market thinks. And, and the black line's in play. The black line is the only one the Fed has some sort of control over. Um, and even so, not that much control. Because if you look at historical models, such as the Taylor rule, uh, this will be something that, you know, gives you an estimate of what interest rates should be to contain inflation related to employment and so forth. These rules have been written off, but they're telling you, um, uh, but they, they work for years and then, then recently they've been told, you know, we don't, we don't care about these sorts of things anymore. But they, they would put interest rates of sort of 8% or something. I mean, it, it just unbearable thought. So I think that we're going to, you know, we are going to slowly climb to high, much higher interest rates over a long period of time. And it's going to be very, very choppy indeed. And the inflation is going to come down a bit because the economy is slowing, but not nearly as much as the market hopes. But in that scenario, surely there will be some sort of debt crisis somewhere. You know, a lot of governments would default, a lot of companies would default. We'd have a classic debt crisis, wouldn't we? Absolutely. And, and I think this time, particularly in corporate debt, you know, we're already seeing very, very high yields in Asia um, and, and in, in high yield bonds generally. You know, they say that 20% of companies couldn't withstand interest rates at 3% or something like that. I mean, they're, they're, we don't really know what these estimates uh, will turn, you know, how accurate they'll turn out to be. But it's that kind of number. 
um, you know, you don't really need to do much here to cause a hell of a lot of pain. I mean, how many how many people have bought property portfolios on, on the basis of low rates? One example. So, you know, it could well be that the property you own is a wonderful property and it's a great solid asset. But if everyone around you is selling, then prices go down. Yeah, something I've noticed is that people in the UK and in Australia are extremely upset with the fact that they were promised low interest rates for the foreseeable future and the opposite happened. Um, interest rates have gone absolutely bananas. Um, but I want to quickly mention energy because it seems to me that Europe is is shooting itself in the foot in spectacular fashion when it comes to energy with these sanctions and it's, and it's really undermining their economy now. But those sanctions could be reversed very quickly, at least theoretically speaking. Um, do you think that would resolve the energy crisis in Europe if the sanctions were ended and you know peace was made with Putin and the, the pipelines were opened up again? It would it would certainly ease the burden in the short term, but in the long term we still have to face the the, the harsh reality that the world consumes one point four percent more oil year on year um, outside of recessions, and um, and supply has not kept up. So yeah, demand will fall a bit this year. Um, Russia coming back on stream uh, with a peace dividend would would be would be um, very welcome for energy markets, and 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 that's the, that line of stability, not, notwithstanding the problems with the war but um you know it is a genuine long-term concern that we've you know overly reliant on renewables which are intermittent and we haven't got um the mechanism for secure base base load which you know could have been nuclear or so forth so we're still heavily dependent on on uh, fossil fuels fuels and 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 quite simply without the investment um it, it, it it's hard to see that being being realigned without materially higher price average prices over the, the next five or ten years um, you know, I think that the, the interesting one is the Pontius Pilate theory, as Peter Spiller, the, one of the fund managers I spoke to recently, said, you know, the, the, the ESG movement is driven by uh, people who, um, have, you know, refuse to invest and in, engage in the oil and gas industry, but at the same time, happily go to work in a petrol car and uh, enjoy gas central heating at home. You've been writing a lot about your money map, which is a sort of a guide on where to position your wealth for various different environments. Can you give us, a, without giving too much away, a general idea about where we are in the money map now? Um, the money map is currently confused. And, and if it was clear that inflation was nipped in the bud, it would be really easy to make decisions because we'd just go straight to defensive stocks, straight to, to secure cash flows. Um, and, and basically, we'd be, we'd be buying into the idea that bonds have finished their sell-off. But I kind of don't believe that. You know, I think there's a lot of manipulation in prices and the uh, and the narrative right now, and um, uh, and that means that we see continued inflation, you know, higher inflation for longer, which means bonds are mispriced. And so I think there's a big risk in assuming that all that all is going to come good so easily. So basically, the money map is is you know if you if you believe there's going to be lots of inflation, then you know exactly what to do. If you think it's going to go away, then it becomes clear what to do. But I do think we're at one of those turning points where it's very unclear. Uh, and, you know, yesterday was case in point with US inflation data. It came way ahead of expectations. Um, and, and yet the bond market goes, yeah, it's, it's, this, this is it. Um, it's over. But I just, I just don't believe it. So it sounds like we're in a transition from one part of the map to the other. What makes you so convinced that inflation is not yet uh, nipped in the bud? Because I think large amounts of it have, haven't even really um, haven't even started. I mean, think about wage rises. And, and you can go back 
30, 40 years and look how the, the, the in, in low inflation environments, it's the capitalist that wins and the worker that loses. And in high inflation environment, the, those tables turn. And wages as a percentage of the economy, wages as a percentage of profits, uh, uh, of corporate sales or profits as a percent of GDP, you know, there's so many ways to measure this. There are historic highs. And so you would think there would be downward pressure on, um, on profit margins generally as the worker gets a pay rise. And I think it's long overdue. And, um, you know, that, that's something that's starting rather than finishing. The oil bit, the oil and food prices will be cyclical. They could easily be coming down for the rest of the year. But the structural supply chain stuff, you know, we're not going to go back to the old days. Uh, and the wage pressures will, 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 will march on. Even in a recession, which means you're talking about stagflation, outright stagflation then? Absolutely. Which is, a, you know, it's the worst time to invest because, you know, you, you want to be able to, to, to buy something in the knowledge that the real value of that asset you're going to, going to buy is going to be higher in the future. And, um, you know, at the moment, we're still, we've still got a lot, of, a lot of the best stocks in the world, the safe stocks and so forth, are still highly priced. And, and most of the money in bull markets is made by revaluation, you know, the valuation, the P-E ratio, um, going from a low number to a high number. And that's that generally exceeds even, even profit growth. And, um, and, and so when you're on high PEs, which we still are, then, you know, a derating is something to look forward to. It, it, it's, it's hard to say um, that, that you can say, it's hard to say that you can uh, buy the indices in, in, in confidence that earnings are going to be supportive, um, inflation is going to be uh, low, and there's going to be an uplift in PE. I mean, one out of three would be nice, where I see probably zero out of three. So you've got to stick to value wherever it happens to be. There is value around the world. Um, but, it, but even that, you know, can, can come under pressure as we face recession. So we just got to sit this out a bit, I think, um, uh, uh, and wait for more honesty in bond prices and, um, and the central bank rhetoric to say they acknowledge the inflation problem. I mean, the FT leader today was uh, Mohammed um, El Arian, the former co-head of uh, PIMCO or Allianz. And, and, you know, he's a, one of the big gurus in the market. And he's always been sort of pro-establishment, but now he's, he's he's turned against them, saying these guys aren't telling you how it is. And um, and if Mo if Mo is saying it, then then believe it. Well, if one of the most experienced and distinguished investors out there is telling me that this is the most difficult time to invest, then uh, I must be pretty damn difficult. Charlie, thanks for joining us, and to everyone at home, if you're interested in seeing more about Charlie Morris's money map, there should be a link below this video, depending on when you're watching it. Uh, you'll find out what the various parts of the map are and which investment classes are best for each different parts of the map. And then you can make up your own mind about where you think we are in inflation and interest rates. Thanks very much for watching.